This is Jim Inkster. You are listening to Talk Louisiana, signature support from East Baton Rouge Parish, Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom. Our show originates from the Investar Bank Tower in Baton Rouge. Robin Dow is your producer, and our number is 877-217-5757. Email address, talk at talklouisiana.org. In studio to start a conversation today is a gentleman who hasn't been with us in a few years, but he is a man about town in a huge way, Mark Martin, a bicycle advocate. He's been with us many times in the past, but it has been a couple of years, and Baton Rouge, as we know through the years, has been pointed to as a city without a lot of bike-friendly roads and byways and it has been a city in which um, there are more fatalities per capita than others, and other statistic we'd rather not have. But in 2021, the most dangerous city in America for bikers, according to one survey, Stockton, California, number two, Baton Rouge. Things have improved, but do we have some miles to travel? And I'm speaking of miles to travel. This man, Mark Martin who belies his age of 70, he rides continuously. He has a bicycle that shows he's ridden 41,000 miles, and he says it's five years old. So according to my math, is that right? Eight years and 5,000. Okay, eight years. Eight years and 41,000. So it would be about 5,000 miles a year, which is a whole lot of bike riding. It's good for you, but it's not good if you've got unfriendly uh, motorists out there who are not cognizant and don't care to be aware of uh, people who are on a bicycle who if you obviously are in the midst of a traffic snarl you're in a defenseless position but how are we doing right now well things have improved a great deal jim um while the crash rate is still pretty high we started considering uh complete streets as far as what we're doing complete streets being a uh, a method of building infrastructure for transportation that includes all roadway users. For 70 years, we just concentrated on moving cars around. 2014, we got the Complete Streets policy passed. 2015, the Complete Streets Citizen Advisory Committee. And then we've started slowly overcoming the inertia of the past behaviors of just building for cars. And now the Move VR program, uh, almost all of those road projects have some kind of pedestrian or bicycle facility involved. Well, that is excellent. And uh, another survey, Best and Worst Cities for Recreation, on this one, Baton Rouge ranks 45th nationally. So that's good. But that includes parks and recreational facilities and things like that. It doesn't really get into the concerns people have about some of the areas where riding a bike is particularly treacherous. One of those is Florida Boulevard. Yes, indeed. I was uh, looking at some other statistics because you can't divorce bicycling and walking from driving. Uh, Baton Rouge is number one for fatalities for automobiles. Um, about... <coughs> I for automobiles. For in auto, yeah, car-on-car crashes. Uh, we've almost doubled our annual death rate since uh, 2020 at the peak of the pandemic. When people were, and still are, driving in ways that are not safe. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, we've also that affects people in other vehicles, but it really affects people like you. Well, it certainly affects me, but we can't discount the fact that we're we're killing about a hundred people a year in cars and sending about ten thousand or more people to the hospital as a result of crashes. And uh, the Florida Boulevard being the most dangerous street in the state for cars is also the site of the most bicycle pedestrian crashes. So the thing about complete streets is trying to find a way to accommodate driving and walking and biking. What do you attribute that to? What about Florida Boulevard is unsafe? Oh, gosh. Well, it's uh, the way it was built, the engineering. It's very straight. They have very wide lanes. There are very few stops on it, uh, particularly when you're coming excuse me, coming from the, the other parish. You pass airline, and you begin to get some stop signs, but it's, uh, there's no obstructions, and the whole intent of that construction was to use it as a, well, I call it a car sewer, because it's just to flush cars in and flush mm-hmm. cars out. As we know, a listener remarks, we've done a lot of work on Government Street, but is it, it, it's, it's uh, certainly been, quote, gentrified, but is it safer? In fact, um, the uh, Baton Rouge Area Chamber just published a paper showing that not only have the crashes dropped by 50%, but tax revenues are 24% higher than the tax revenues for other parts of the city. So those are good numbers. And they didn't address how many millions of dollars of reconstruction and redevelopment have gone into the area. Mm -hmm. So that has been a, a, a win all the way across. And as we know, Florida and government are not far apart. It's kind of like Royal and Bourbon Street in the French Quarter. Right. But you say there are a lot of miles apart when it comes to safety. Absolutely. There's, 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 I, I do not ride Florida Boulevard anywhere, even downtown. Um, crossing, it's bad enough. I have to go to meetings at the Brick headquarters on Ardenwood. And that intersection is actually that intersection is one of the most dangerous intersections on the most dangerous road. So Florida and Ardenwood. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's the site of uh, a tremendous number of crashes, lots of deaths. I remember working in mall city many years ago <laughs> and drove Florida and Ardenwood many, many times. And, uh, I can see what you're saying. Eight seven seven two one seven five seven five seven for the incomparable Mark Martin. Clayton on Florida Boulevard. Clayton, good morning. You're on Talk Louisiana. Good, good morning, Mark and Jim. So I can see a bus stop from my house, my back porch, that's on Florida at the RCC. And the amount of students that have to play Frogger every morning to go to school is alarming. So that needs to be addressed. But I'd like to know Mark's take on solutions to the distracted driving is it an education issue or is it an enforcement issue thank you well that's a good one clayton um well well uh distracted driving we talk about it and we don't do anything about it everybody knows that um or should know that if you're on your phone or you're reaching for something that's fallen off your chair and onto the floor of the car or the kids in the backseat are getting out of hand and so you turn around to, you know, address their issues. 
Um, all those things happen. Car, the phones are the most of the worst. Um, but it, we're so inured to both driving and kind of phone usage that I have no real effective idea or solution to the problem. Unless we, I don't know. I mean, every phone's got a, a driving mode so that if you get into your car, you can hit driving mode and it won't distract you. Where is your phone when you're riding your bicycle? It's tucked away. I don't I don't use it at all. Is it on your person? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, partly because you never know when you're going to need it. Well, and also um, you get credit for those steps. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. It also has an app that allows me to track my riding. Yeah. So I can it'll map the route. Yeah, it, it is great. Uh, I've gotten into it. I, I check yeah. my steps several times a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and, I, you know, when it comes down to it, Clayton and, and other listeners, um, it, it all of these problems come down to personal responsibility. We can't engineer a world that will be absolutely safe. We can't mandate that people don't drink. I mean, we've tried that in the past, and that didn't work out very well. Mm-hmm. We can't make people pay attention. Uh, it would be nice if we spent more time, effort, and funds on letting people know that they need to do that. And it would be nice if we spent more time on enforcement. Part of the problem is that there's a very there's a break in the feedback loop when you're driving. Um, you ride around all the time, talking on the phone, nothing happens, so no big deal. Until it does happen, and then off to the hospital or cemetery. Yeah, but according to my math, if Mark's doing 5,000 miles a year, that's about 14 miles a day Yeah, on your bicycle. Yeah. <clears throat> and he, he does some walking, too. He's it's not just all bicycles, so... It's a great way to stay in shape, but if you're going to get killed doing it, <laughs> kind of well, takes the fun out of it, doesn't it? Well, again, I you <coughs> have to go back to the, the car crash data. Uh, it, it's, it, it's not that driving is safe. It's that we accept the cost of doing it. Well, also, a listener notes, <clears throat> and we're about to go to a break, and we'll pick up with this when we come back, but uh, it's good to make sure your bicycle's in good shape too absolutely so yeah uh and you you i can tell you put a lot of work into it but if you got a defective bicycle that's like a defective car it's not a good prescription for success 877-217-5757 back in 89.3 seconds this is jim inkster thank you for joining us for talk louisiana Mark Martin, who's kind of the godfather of the cycling crowd in Baton Rouge. And at age 70, looks hale and hearty. And uh, I suspect that a decade from now, you'll still see him on the roads. And it's, uh, I bet your blood numbers are good, aren't they? My what? Your blood numbers. Your oh. lipid profile and all that stuff. Your blood pressure. It's all. Yeah. Small anecdote. I, I had to have my right hip replaced. Really? And I was waiting seven years ago. And I was waiting to hear back. A lot of the different people going around. When I called the orthopedist to find out if my blood panel had come in, the first thing the person on the phone said is, there's something strange about your blood. And I was like, uh, what? What? Everything is normal. <laughs> we don't ever see all the blood test panels. A 60-some-year-old man, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, everything. And, and, and that's like, without medication, too, isn't uh, absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you yeah. take any prescription drugs? I have one uh, for blood pressure, which is not that it's excessive blood pressure, and it's the lowest dose possible. It's just I'm getting old. 877-217-5757. Jason at Jones Creek. Jason, you're on with Mark Martin. Yes, good, good morning, guys. Uh, look, I applaud Mark for uh, continuing to ride. I was uh, I was uh, you know, an occasional cyclist, but got rid of my bike after having to ditch it a couple of times in front yards for being nearly hit. And uh, But I wanted to comment about the Florida Boulevard corridor. I commute that one. Uh, every morning and every evening and the the real thing is the enforcement uh yeah i think everyone knows what the laws are and we have gotten quite reckless with our with our driving and so i think more enforcement on that one because so i take it basically from uh the florida boulevard interchange all the way down to about north uh 22nd and if you just drive that corridor casually you will see many places where cars, distracted drivers have run off the road into fences, signposts, light posts. You know, you just see that occasionally. Uh, on a daily basis, I see new, new things. The, the cemetery wall down there by the, uh, the, uh, the, the military cemetery wall has been crashed into numerous times. Yeah, the... Uh... That section of Florida, which always surprises me, is between 22nd and 19th. And the Florida, the Magnolia Mount, Magnolia Cemetery, and the National Cemetery walls have been crashed into, I can't tell you how many times, which I can't figure out. There's no reason for that to happen. But having the enforcement is, again, I have to get back to personal responsibility. You can only enforce so much. You, and around here, I mean, if you talk about a red light camera, red light cameras are there because people run red lights. The reaction to it is that it's just a money grab. Nobody says the only reason you're paying money is because you violated the law. They say it's just for the income. So we can't enforce everything. Patricia in Magnolia Woods, you're on with Mark Martin. Uh, good morning. Um, I love bicycling, uh, but... I've noticed at LSU, some of the students don't seem to know that you're supposed to, a bicycle is supposed to follow the same rules of the road as cars. Like, uh, you see them run stop signs at high speed and also ride in across pedestrian crosswalks. And I, I think I learned that bikes are supposed to follow rules of the road in, like, driver's ed, which is a long time ago. But I was wondering if you had any thoughts about how we could help uh, younger people learn how to bike safely. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of it is that, as you said, you heard that in driver's ed many years ago. We don't teach people how to ride. We don't teach people that under the revised statutes of Louisiana, a bicycle is considered a vehicle and has to obey traffic laws. And when you see somebody doing something that's Against the traffic laws, nobody does anything about it. We don't teach people. We don't enforce it. We don't do any of that stuff. But the same thing happens with drivers. When I mentioned red light cameras, there was a reason for the red light cameras coming in. People run red lights all the time. Do you have lights on your bicycle? Absolutely. It's required by law. But a lot of bicyclists 
No, I, it's, it's no. another and, one and of those by things the way, where I've never done that, and I should, but I generally don't ride at night. Yeah, well, but but by law, yeah, I should have it, right? Yeah, absolutely, and and not just because it's the law; it's because people can see you, so it's a safety issue. All right. Uh, Donna Ramirez says, uh, because of distracted drivers, why not add concrete barriers on government street between the road and the bike lane? Ah, I wish that were possible. There's, there's not enough room there to do that. Uh, we tried to get the city to even put in those flexi post Mm -hmm. barriers, but they're not quite at the point where they're willing to do that. Richard Pierce Sanders writes, wouldn't it be nice to be able to cross the river again? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Uh, no, I, the the ferry was gone before I got here. I've crossed the river up at St. Francisville on the Audubon Bridge, but not not here. All right. Uh, Curtis on Lobdell. Curtis, you're on Talk Louisiana with Mark Martin. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Jim, I love your show. Let's thank you. Do it as much as I can. So I think uh, as a cyclist myself. Uh, for about 12 years, I've got three road carbons and a gravel. Uh, I think you can look at Baton Rouge uh, in almost any city in maybe separating the two types of cyclists that you have. Somebody who does it for a sport, uh, they're pretty keen as to what their route's going to be. Most of them, a lot of times, like myself, I've ridden the same route that can vary from 20 miles to 50 miles. But 20 of those miles are the same miles ridden almost every time. So I know the area. I know what to look for. Uh, and then then you have the, the people that use their bikes for transportation. And I think, you know, in both of those instances, you have one uh, distraction from drivers, but it's, I feel, more of the transportation cyclists that maybe aren't fully aware of how they should be riding their bicycle. Yeah, well, first, it sounds like he was in his car making that call. Uh, so, you know, talk about distracted driving. Um I, I think it's what what the caller said is true that there is there are uh, types of riders. There are people who ride for sport. There are people who ride for recreation. There are people who ride for transportation. I think one of the first things that people who drive all the time who are interested in riding think they can't because the only routes they know are the ones they drive. And if you if you think about riding your bike on Perkins, there's no way you're going to do it. But if you learn that there are routes off of Perkins that get you to the same place and it's completely different, like right. today coming out here, the worst part was the last hundred yards on sharp because I had to be on sharp. You so, came through a back yeah, there way. Yeah. Lots of back ways to get yeah, there. I know. I know. But, but how, long did, to, how, how long did it take you and how far that, that was a, uh, Pretty substantial ride, wasn't it? Twelve and a half miles, <clears throat> and you got to ride back. Yeah, twelve and a half miles one way, and uh, how long? Uh, just under an hour and a half. Wow, Steve at LSU. Steve, you're on with Mark. 
Hello, thank you for taking my call, and thank you for this topic. Uh, good morning, Mark and Jim. Um, I am just out of my car. I had to wait until I got out of my car before I could make a call. Um, thank you. I would like uh, Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I would like to be able to drive across town to work more often. I have kind of cobbled together a route, but obviously it's not perfect. Nothing is. Somebody told me that there is a place on, I guess, the Bike BR website where you can put your two endpoints and they will recommend a route. Is that true? I, that, I, I take it you meant you ride across town rather than drive across town. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that was true. Bike BR is going through a transition period right now, and uh, that website is has been hijacked, <laughs> and so it's not available. Uh, but... Um, you, it, that was the case. Um, I, I'm reluctant to give out my email on the radio. but <laughs> well, Hold tight. We will spend some more time. Thank you, Steve, for your observation. And we'll be back a few more minutes with Mark Martin after this timeout. This is Jim Inkster. Pleased to have you with us for Talk Louisiana. 877-217-5757. A few more minutes with Mark Martin, the avid bicyclist. And then we turn the page and go to Jeff Sato in Shreveport. He's assessing uh, national and local politics. And yesterday, our governor, Jeff Landry, made the case for combating crime. We'll talk with Jeff Sato, and we look forward to hearing from you. But we have a few people who've been waiting for a while to talk with Mark. I don't know that we'll be able to get to all of you, but let's go to Liddell in Port Allen. Liddell, you're on Talk Louisiana. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I'm retired from the Louisiana School for the Visually Impaired, and we had an avid bicycle program, blind children and people riding bicycles across Louisiana into other states. Thanks to uh, the wonderful Jerry Lane, who's now deceased, who provided us with a trailer and lights and a sign that said, Caution, Visually Impaired Cyclers Ahead. The safest place I see for us to ride is the river road. And, uh, of course, we have to have a guided cyclist, but there's advocate, blind, or visually impaired cyclists in the Baton Rouge area. That's hard for them to find somewhere safe to ride. Uh, is there anything in the, in the legislature in the, to, to find uh, a place to so they can ride with large printed signs, with lighted areas? With Thank you, Lee Dell. I'm not aware of anything that's specific to uh, vision impaired riders um and i hope when you say river road you mean on the top of the levee uh since even though it is uh, only about 12 miles it it is much safer than being down on river road that's been a death trap through the years hasn't it it has i it's yeah it's not been good uh again i mean it's a place that's off the radar literally for the police and so people who have problem driving drive there so they won't get picked up you know it's just it's a bad interaction dark and well, it's dark winding people go fast yeah you know they're coming that, from the casino that, yeah carol and jefferson carol please be concise you're on with mark oh uh, yes i had two questions one first of all i'm uh no longer can drive so i get to ride my bicycle every day um I'm trapped here in Jefferson Terrace between Strodes and the interstate. I mean, I get out and get by them every day. I wonder if we have any 
anything on the books to fix that issue? Uh, part of that is is maybe addressed through uh, the complete application of complete streets to those situations. Uh, there, Strava is an app that that <clears throat> uh, tracks people's riding, and they make a heat map so that if you look at Baton Rouge, you can see where people ride their bikes most frequently. There are a number of neighborhoods where there are people who are stuck in their neighborhood just doing circles because they can't get out. They have to cross, as you said, a strode, which is a cross between a street and a road, high traffic, high volume, high speed. So they, they, they have to drive with their car, with the bike on it or in it, mm-hmm. to go somewhere they can actually do more. Um, and I, I don't know that the state has... In fact, I know the state does not have uh, any particular program aimed at any particular areas to reduce that problem of crossing strodes and interstates. A listener asks if you always wear a helmet. I do not. It's not required, but... Um, if you're over 12. It is required? If you're under 12. Under 12. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, and the reason I Some people say that'd be a good idea... Well, the reason I don't, uh, partly is that an automobile does not drop on us. It hits us from the side. Uh, and if I get hit such that I am not killed, I may bang my head, but helmets are tested by dropping weights from the top, not from the side. So they give the appearance of safety. And I've seen people wearing helmets backwards because they don't know how to use it, but they think having a helmet makes them safe. It's not a or magic safer. Formula. Now I would suggest that anybody riding a motorcycle. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Use a helmet. At that, at that speed, you know, if, if I were going cross country or I were in the mountains and I had to downhill, I would definitely wear a helmet. Okay. Last caller for Mark Martin, please be concise. Phil in Jefferson Terrace. Hello, Phil. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I wish people would go uh, try biking again. It's so much fun, um, and I do my biking, but I don't trust people coming up behind me. So uh, I ride across against traffic and then go to where my, my loop is. Uh, and uh, I think the best system I saw was in Shreveport. They had a, uh, a bike lane set up that was uh, safe. It was a curb on both sides of that, and... All right. What about riding against traffic? Uh, well, it's it's actually more dangerous. Um, drivers don't expect to see someone coming toward them. If physics, it adds to the impact. Both speeds are added rather than being subtracted. I understand being afraid of people behind you, but um, it's not good to go against traffic. It is also illegal. Not that that, you know. Stops people. No. Mark, always a delight to talk with you. Thank and, uh, you, Jim. I appreciate the riding the 12 and a half miles. And, and uh, you know, we used to have a guy who worked here, Luke Johnson, who rode his bicycle in every day. He was a Marine combat veteran. And I said, Luke, I, I can see you riding here, but then you got to ride back. <laughs> so, so good luck on your way back. Thank you. I appreciate All that. Right. All right. Jeff Sato is with us, the LSU political scientist from the great hamlet of Shreveport. And yesterday at the state capitol, Governor Jeffrey Martin Landry was front and center, addressing members of the House and Senate the opening day of a special legislative session on crime. 
James Finn of The Advocate puts it this way, Governor Landry uplifted victims of violent crime and pledged to punish criminals in a fiery speech outlying conservatives' ambitious plan to reshape Louisiana's criminal justice system. What do you make of this, Professor Sato? Uh, I think that's the hors d'oeuvre because most of what he uh, he wants, at least in, as, in terms of what came out in the call, I think he's he's going to get. Um, I think he made it in, in terms of, of just a, uh, a an argument, you know, without referring to data and, and the like. Um, uh, just rhetorically, I think he made a, about as good a case as you could for the, the things that he wants to see passed. Well, the governor also, uh, unlike his predecessor, he wants to clear death row. He says it's time that these people be executed. Uh, here's a sampling of Jeff Landry on his thoughts regarding capital punishment. Robin? Do we have it? Did you see the picture? Are you telling me yes or no? Okay. Here's Jeff Landry, she says, who in capital punishment serves to bring justice for crimes of horrific violence. When these sentences are handed down, they form a covenant between the state and the victims and their families and their friends. And justice requires that we uphold that covenant. All right. And state lawmaker Representative Edmund Jordan of Baton Rouge uh, had a thought in variance with Governor Landry, here is Representative Jordan. Louisiana has one of the highest wrongful conviction rates in the nation. We have more people being exonerated than somebody than most other states. If someone is exonerated and they're dead, it doesn't do them any good. All right, Jeff, uh, Jeff Sato, what are your observations regarding Governor Landry's push for the death penalty to be uh, more active? We haven't had a person put to death by the state in 14 years. Yeah, and, and that he was voluntary <laughs> in, in, in some senses. We, I, I guess we haven't had someone who really objected to it. I think 2002 was the last time that happened. Um, the, you know, I mean, he, he's got a point uh, in the sense that if you, you know, this, you know life is life and, and capital punishment is capital punishment. If that's a sentence, then it ought to be carried out. There's uh, a lot of reasons why that hasn't happened. Um, uh, some to do with uh, just the uh, politics of, of the mechanism of getting the the, uh, uh, the materials to do it. Of course, Louisiana's only method at this time is, is lethal injection, and and the change that Landry wants is to add two more uh, methods of of uh, execution to what's legal. So. You know, there are a lot of reasons why it hasn't happened. You know, I seriously doubt he can clear death row in, in four or eight years. Um, the 40-odd people, I think, that are, are on it uh, currently. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if, if we look at the studies, we look at the data, um, even though there haven't been a lot of executions in the last few years in, in the country, even if we go back and look at older data, you know, the, the fact is there is a deterrent effect from capital punishment. It does tend to deter uh, future homicides. Cost, you know, that could go either way. Um, uh, And then, of course, but I think really what Landry was speaking to was um, just uh, kind of a a retributive effect that, you know, if this is what uh, the law says, this is what we said we would do on behalf of the victims, 
their families, uh, then that's a, a commitment we ought to carry forward with. 877-217-5757. The governor wants lawmakers to expand the death penalty, to restrict early release, to give police officers more legal immunity, and also to allow a concealed carry permit without uh, having to go through the hoops. You can just carry a gun on your person if you're a law-abiding citizen and go from there. What do you think? David in Atlanta, you're on with Jeff Sato. Hi, David. Good morning, David in Atlanta. Tell you what, uh, Robin's saying we're close to a break, so we're going to save David if we can and then go to Jeff Sato. Obviously, the governor is passionate about this. He chose this to be one of his first items. As James Finn reports, his voice near to yell as he lambasted liberal activists, the state's partisan 2017 criminal justice laws and violent criminals for what he described as a rash of crime engulfing the state. We're back with more Talk Louisiana after this quick pause. This is Jim Inkster, and we're talking about Governor Jeff Landry, and uh, hopefully things are still on schedule for him to be with us sometime this week, and hopefully that will be happen, and he'll be talking largely about the crime session. 877-217-5757. And Jeff Sato, LSU political scientist from Shreveport, who's a staunch conservative. Uh, it sounds like you like the moves that are being made by Jeffrey Martin Landry. Yeah, I, I largely uh, uh, agree with him. Um, you know, a lot of it's going to be in the execution. You know, we can have, you know, the laws can say something, but really it's up to the system uh, and uh, I guess really you get down to a district attorneys and decisions that are made in their offices in terms of, of uh, who's charged and what they're charged with to, uh, to ultimately have an impact on, on crime rates. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, certainly you change the legal environment, you're going to get different outcomes, but it really does depend upon those who are trying to implement those laws. And again, we go back basically to the, to the front lines um, in district attorney's offices. Well, the former president, Donald Trump, summoned uh, Governor John Bell Edwards to New Jersey for a summit meeting of sorts on the the measures that John Bell Edwards steered through the legislature in 2017. And the lobbyist, uh, one of the chief ones, uh, among others, uh, helping the cause was David Vitter, who, of course, is not a liberal by any means. These were directed largely at nonviolent offenders who were serving long prison sentences at a great cost to the state. And the governor thought that uh, it was better to have them uh, as productive members of society. And, of course, uh, we do have recidivism on occasion, but most nonviolent offenders, for example, we had, uh, I think, 50 people in prison for life. It was their third offense for possession of marijuana. Should we redo that or... Is that going too far, Jeff Landry? Um, I, you know, that's not part of the uh, uh, the agenda, so not not sure exactly what the thinking is uh, with the governor and with uh, legislators on that. Um, you know, you bring up a, a a good point there in that uh, when we look at these lower level offenders, you know, a lot of decisions being made about. Um, whether they should be in prison or be supervised by another means, uh, parole or uh, probation, you know, those are decisions that are also being made 
uh, again, by, I guess you could say, practitioners in the Department of, of Corrections. Uh, and, you know, I, I, the, the fact that we have the same corrections secretary, in fact, the same one for several gubernatorial terms now, who's uh, who's going to be overseeing the department, uh, it would seem, for the next four years, uh, is in there, I, I, I think means that there's not going to be a whole lot of change in terms of those kinds of decisions um, that are being made, um, at least at that end of it. Of course, there's another end of it, and that's the uh, the, the courts themselves and the, in the um, uh, uh, ruling, the, the terms that are handed down uh, by judges and juries uh, there. So, again, there's a lot of moving parts to this. And the, the laws themselves, again, they can set the environment, but it's really the people that are involved in implementing them that are, are going to make the difference in terms of that ultimate impact. When I look at the national election prospects, and November is eight and a half months away. Donald Trump right now on this conflation of polls from Real Clear Politics, 1.1% ahead of Biden. And mind you, uh, the former president finished in the overall vote, second twice by pretty good margins to Hillary Clinton by about 3 million votes and to Joe Biden by about 7 million. Is Trump headed back to the White House in your estimation? Well, uh, looking at at those numbers uh, at this point, um, they say yes, but you could have done the same thing four years ago and, you know, may probably have come up with the same conclusion. Actually, Trump was running a little behind in the polls then, but as you probably know, there's a bit of a, a bias towards Democrat candidates because of the way the electoral college is set up and just, uh, the, um, in the, in typically in the, where Democrat candidates get, uh, a very disproportionate share of the vote is, is the largest states, um, most of the largest states, not all, uh, Texas and Florida excluded, uh, in population. So there's a little bias in that direction. Uh, but so when you, you're looking at the 1.1 now, it's really probably closer to three points. And so that makes it you know, look a lot better for, for Trump. And, and again, we're talking about the electoral college and, and it's a state by state thing. And you, you, uh, you look at the swing states, uh, and like uh, real clear politics, they they have a kind of a running tally of, of six of them. Right. Yeah. And um, I'm looking both. at those, Jeff. And yeah. right now, Trump's leading in five and in four of them, he has rather substantial leads. He's up by five in Arizona, by five in Michigan, by seven in Nevada and by seven point two in Georgia. David in Atlanta. Yeah. Let's give David a shot. I think we got him back. So, David, you're on with Jeff Sato. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Mr. Sato. Given that you've said on this program in the past you would consider voting for Donald Trump, however, now that Trump has been adjudicated as a rapist and a fraudster to the tune of nearly a half a billion dollars and said he would encourage Russia to attack a NATO station if they didn't pay their dues, which would kill a lot of people, would you like to take those words back? And do you consider... All right. What about uh, Trump's statements and, of course, his legal uh, fiasco right now? That continues, and I'm sure that could be a factor as we move toward November. Yeah, it's a, an interesting one because you see uh, some set of polls will say, well, uh, if Trump is convicted of something, that there's maybe two, three percentage point drop off in people that would be willing to vote for him. And again, it seems that every time that Trump has um, crossed swords with, uh, with some legal uh, official somewhere, uh, it doesn't seem to have 
uh, hurt and, and, you know, maybe even helped his standing in the polls as, as people kind of uh, supporters and, and maybe some others uh, see this as kind of a circle the wagons kind of moment. Uh, and, you know, maybe there's some independents out there who uh, look at the situation and aren't impressed with the kinds of things that are being done and, and may see Trump as persecuted. So um, it's kind of it's a interesting dynamic to try to tease out there, whether it's going to help him or hurt him or wash out or, or whatever. What do you make of the apparent murder of Alexei Navalny? Um, unfortunate, a, uh, just a continuation of a trend we've seen over the last nearly 20 years uh, uh, in Russia. Several Kremlin critics have met with um, unanticipated and untimely deaths, let's say, and a couple, in fact, pretty pretty directly connected to the uh, to the Russian government. So, you know, I, I would take with a grain of salt the, the official government reports about how he met his demise. Uh, and, you know, just, again, part of a pattern of, of silencing dissent um, uh, by rather extreme means. And the person we're talking about is Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin. Patrick in Innisfalda States. Patrick, you're on with Professor Sato. Hey, Professor. Um, so, yeah, we've seen what's happening in New York with this trial against Donald Trump. It's a victimless crime. The, the banks are happy to do business with him. But I guess my question is, the truckers, uh, I've read about these truckers are going to uh, stop doing business and boycott New York City. And a lot of business owners are going to start boycotting New York. Do you think the boycott will work? Or- All right. Well, will a boycott against New York City work for those who like former President Trump? Um, maybe marginally, you know, boycotts uh, of, of any kind of any political persuasion really are, are successful. Um, it's just a, a lot of uh, just the economics of the situation usually get in the way. You know, mm-hmm. that said, the Bud Light one seemed to have worked, but um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, my guess would be it's going to work uh, at the margins, but it's not going to be a, a tremendous impact. And it's probably something that can be just brushed off. James and Metairie. Hello, James. You're on with Professor Sato. Good morning, Jim, and thank you. Uh, Donald Trump's breaking the law was not a victimless crime in New York. Who was harmed? It was the banks. The banks who lend him, lended, loaned him money. The, he inflated the price of his properties. If uh, that was taken into the into account when it negotiated the loans, if, if the actual levels were uh, were used for those loans. Banks would have received higher levels of interest. It was a crime. There are victims. Thank you. All right. And uh, the president, former president, does face a criminal trial regarding hush money to Stormy Daniels. Do you think that's going anywhere? It appears New York is not the best venue for Donald Trump. He doesn't do as well in his hometown, perhaps, as he does in other places. Um, Yeah. um, uh, As far as this latest verdict goes, uh, it's... It, one of the concerns is that it seems to be fairly selectively prosecuted. And uh, in fact, it, when there have been some similar uh, prosecutions in the past, uh, far less politicized, uh, the, actually when there have been rather large judgments like we've seen against Trump, uh, the New, York, New York's equivalent of the Supreme Court basically overturned them and they drastically uh, reduced the amount. So we may see that happen here again, but uh, um, yeah, I know. There's, uh, you know, as as you know, there are other 
cases winding their way through the courts. Um, well, probably none are going to be resolved by election day. So, well, Attorney General Letitia James is a tough one. Uh, she uh, punished a guy a few years ago, Rafael Taladano. And the reason I know this guy, he was a notorious East Village landlord. He was in Baton Rouge trying to buy properties here. And he was banned from the real estate business by uh, Letitia James for five years and fined $3 million. So she has gone after people in the past, but anytime Donald Trump's involved, we know it is fraught with political dynamite. And thank you, as always, Jeff Sato. We'll be calling again, sir. Great to hear from you. Stay safe and stay tuned.